Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. That lecture on the road to Emmaus was not a dry theological discourse. It means the Jesus of the Old Testament is the Jesus of the New Testament. And because of that, we can bank our life and our eternity on what he's promised to us. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffress. This Christmas season, you'll likely revisit the famous narrative of the birth of Christ in Luke chapter 2. But the Christmas story didn't begin in Bethlehem. It began thousands of years before Jesus was even born. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress looks at the birth and the life of Jesus through the lens of Old Testament prophecy. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. It's December the 12th, just two weeks until Christmas. And by now, I hope you've taken advantage of the special offer to receive your 2023 Pathway to Victory daily devotional. If you get in touch with us right away, you'll have this beautiful leather-bound volume in time for the new year. I've written a chapter for every Monday through Friday in 2023 so that you can begin or end your day with encouragement from God's Word. And a copy will be sent to your home when you include a special year-end gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Plus, because of the matching challenge, every gift received before December 31st will have twice the impact until we reach our goal of $525,000. You might be able to give a generous gift of $100, $200, $500, or even more. Whatever you give will automatically be matched by a group of friends and therefore doubled in its effectiveness. We've made tremendous strides in 2022, expanding into places like Ukraine, Russia, and Israel. And we've been seizing opportunities to bring this radio program to even more stations in America as well. More information will come, but right now, we have a special treat for you. The church where I serve as senior pastor, First Baptist Dallas, is a singing church. And we'd love for you to step inside the worship center right now and join us in giving praise through this wonderful Christmas favorite.
to the world, the Lord indeed has come. And now let's give our attention to a fascinating passage in Luke chapter 24. I titled today's message, Christmas on the Road. Some years ago, when Queen Elizabeth made a visit to our country, reporters relished telling all of the details, the logistics of her visit to our country. Her visit was accompanied by 4,000 pounds of luggage. She had her own hairdresser and other attendants. A brief visit of royalty to a foreign country ended up costing more than $20 million. Now contrast that to when the King of Kings decided to visit our planet. He came with no luggage. He had no attendants. His arrival took place in an animal shelter. There was no room for him, so they actually placed him in a feeding trough. Philip Yancey points out that the event that divides history and still our calendars probably had more animal witnesses than human witnesses to it. The carol writer said, how silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. But is that really true? Did the arrival of the King of Kings take place in some remote part of the world without any prior warning? If so, how could the Jews or even the Romans be blamed for missing his arrival? Well, the truth is, the gift of Jesus Christ came wrapped in hundreds of years of prophecy. And there were all kinds of signposts in the Old Testament that should have pointed everyone to that feeding trough in Bethlehem. That's the truth that we're going to see in our passage today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. And I want you to turn to chapter, now you think I'm going to say two, don't you? I'm not. We're going to turn to the last chapter of Luke, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24. Uh, this story takes place late on a Sunday afternoon, but it wasn't just any Sunday afternoon. It was the Sunday of Christ's resurrection. He had been raised from the dead early that morning. Now it was late afternoon, and there were two travelers, two disciples of Christ, who were on their way from Jerusalem back to their hometown called Emmaus. This hadn't been any weekend. It had been the weekend of the Passover. Hundreds of thousands of Jews had been in Jerusalem, but this wasn't any Passover. This was when the man who claimed to be the Messiah was arrested, was crucified, and was buried. That's the background for what takes place here. Now look at verse 13 of Luke 24. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem, about a two-hour walk. And they were conversing with each other about all of the things that had taken place. What things? Well, the things about the one they had been following, Jesus, about how he was unfairly arrested, went through the six mock trials, how he was crucified and then laid to rest in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And it came about that while they were conversing and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And so Jesus said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. 
And one of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the thing about Jesus, the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priest and our rulers delivered him up to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the woman, the women also had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O oh, foolish men, slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. I want us to focus for a few minutes today on that verse, verse 27. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them the things about himself. What was he saying? Jesus was saying, you cannot turn a page of the Old Testament without finding something about the birth, the ministry, the death, the resurrection, or the return of Jesus Christ. And so this unrecognized Jesus spent two hours in the Old Testament showing what the Old Testament revealed about the coming of Jesus Christ. Today, I'd like for us to take just a few moments and look at some of those verses Jesus might have explained to them about himself that came from the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament tell us about Jesus Christ? First of all, it gives us the prediction of his birth, the prediction of his birth. When Jesus said that Moses testified of Christ, what is he referring to? Well, Moses wrote the first five books of the Old Testament. He could have turned to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, but I imagine Jesus started at the beginning, the very first mention of Jesus in the Old Testament, and it's found in Genesis chapter 3. Turn to Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Remember, Moses wrote Genesis. This is the first mention of Christ in the Old Testament. Now, the setting of Genesis 3 is the fall of man. Adam and Eve have disobeyed God, and because of that, God was pronouncing judgment upon them. He said to Adam, because of your sin, you're going to have to work harder than you ever imagined. Work is not a curse from God, but having to work harder than normal is a curse, and there's going to be pain involved in work. Then he turned to Eve, and he said, because of your sin, uh, there'll be pain that is associated with childbirth. And then he turns to the serpent who had lured Adam and Eve into temptation. And he spoke not only to the serpent, but to the power behind the serpent, Satan himself. And I want you to notice what he predicted. And I will put enmity, that is strife, between you and the woman. But then he goes beyond that and says, I'll also put strife between your seed He's talking there about the power behind the serpent, Satan, and her seed, that is, her descendants. And he singles out one of the women's descendants 
one of the woman's descendants especially, he said, he, that is a descendant of the woman, shall bruise you on the head. That is, he'll deliver a death blow to you, but you shall only bruise him on the heel. This is the first prediction of Jesus Christ. A descendant of this woman would conquer the power of Satan. Jesus, the Messiah, was born to conquer Satan. As soon as evil entered the world, God said, it won't last forever. One of your descendants, Eve, will conquer Satan, will put an end to evil. He will bruise you on the head. You'll only nip at his heel. That is the first mention. We call it in theology the proto-evangelon. Proto meaning first. Evangelon, the good news, the gospel that evil would not prevail. That's the first thing I think Jesus pointed out. Not only that, the Old Testament predicts that this Messiah would be born to a virgin. Born to a virgin. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 7. Probably no other Old Testament book has more to say about the life, the ministry, the death of the Messiah than Isaiah the prophet. Now remember, Isaiah was written 700 years before the coming of Christ. And when we come to Isaiah 7:14, we come to perhaps the most familiar Old Testament prediction about the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, the setting for Isaiah 7 is key to understanding this prophecy. So I want you to stay with me on this, okay? Remember when Isaiah wrote in 700 BC, the nation of Israel had had a civil war 200 years before in 922 BC, a civil war. And in that civil war, the nation of Israel was divided into two parts, the north and the south. Just like our civil war divided our country into the north and the south. So it was in 922, there was a civil war that split the country. The northern kingdom was the larger portion. It retained 10 of the 12 tribes. And because it was the larger, more powerful portion of the country, it retained the nation of uh, the name of Israel. Israel referred to the northern kingdom after 922 BC. Sometimes it went by the name of Ephraim, one of the 10 tribes. But that was Israel in the north. The southern kingdom was called Judah which was one of the two tribes in the southern portion of the kingdom. So you had Israel or Ephraim in the north and you had Judah in the south. That'll help you understand when you read the Old Testament, the two parts of Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Now, Isaiah was a prophet to the southern kingdom. And one of the kings of Judah, the southern kingdom, was named Ahaz. Ahaz heard a rumor that the king of the northern kingdom was making an alliance with the king of Syria, also known as Aram back then, and together they were going to defeat the south, King Ahaz. And as you can imagine, Ahaz was very troubled about hearing about this alliance. Isaiah comes to him and says, Ahaz, don't worry about it. God is going to destroy both of those kingdoms, the northern kingdom and Syria, and you don't have to worry about them allying against you. And look at Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah said, God's going to give you a sign that in fact he's going to do that. And what is the sign? It's found in Isaiah 7, 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign that he has. Behold, a virgin will be with a child and will bear a son, and she will call his name Israel. The word there for virgin is the word Alma, A-L-M-A-H. 
It simply means a young woman of marriageable age. It doesn't mean somebody who's never had sexual experience before. There's another Hebrew word for that, Bethelah. That means virgin, somebody who's never had sex before. That's not the word he uses here. He uses the word Alma. It's a general term for a woman of marriageable age. God says to Ahaz, a virgin will be with a child and bear a son and you will call his name Emmanuel. And he will eat curds and honey at the time he knows enough to refuse and choose evil and choose good. For before the boy will know enough to refuse evil and choose good, that is before he's age 12 to 14, the land whose two kings you dread will be forsaken. In other words, God said to Ahaz, don't worry about Syria, don't worry about Israel. Before this boy who's to be born is 12 years old, both of those kings will be destroyed. Now, when we turn to chapter 8 of Isaiah, we find the fulfillment of this prophecy. It was fulfilled through Isaiah himself. He married a woman. They had a child. Before the child was 12 years of age, the northern kingdom was defeated and Syria was defeated. Now that's the promise of Isaiah 7:14. I remember listening to my religion professor in college say, now given that historical background, why would anybody apply this verse to the virgin-born birth of Jesus Christ? It had nothing to do with the birth of Jesus Christ. Why would somebody make that application? Tell you exactly why we make that application. Because God's word makes that application. Turn over to Matthew, Matthew chapter one, that records the coming of the Son of God, of Jesus Christ. Jesus was conceived with Mary and by the Holy Spirit, not with a human father. And when Joseph learned that his betrothed uh, fiance, if you will, was pregnant with a child. He was obviously disturbed. But God revealed to Joseph, this child was fathered by the Holy Spirit himself. Now look at verse 20 of Matthew 1. But when he, Joseph, had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Then Matthew adds in verse 22, now all of this took place, that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, and then Matthew quotes Isaiah 7, 14, behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. Matthew applies Isaiah 7, 14 to the birth of Jesus Christ. Now, pop quiz. What language was the Old Testament written in? Hebrew. And I just said to you a moment ago, the Hebrews had a term for virgin. It was Bethelah. Isaiah didn't use that term. He used Alma, a more general term, a young woman. What language was the New Testament written in? It was written in Greek. So when Matthew penned this and translated Isaiah 7:14, and he got to the word virgin, you know the word he used? It's the word parthenos. The word parthenos means only one thing, virgin. Somebody who has never had sexual experience before. Now here is the 
beauty of Scripture. Had Isaiah, 700 years before, used the word Bethlehem that means virgin, if he had used that word, then that prophecy would have meant nothing to Isaiah or to King Ahaz or the people of his day. It would have only had a far fulfillment 700 years later. But by using that more general term, Alma, that prophecy had both an immediate fulfillment in Isaiah's day, but it had an ultimate fulfillment with Jesus Christ. Isn't that the beauty of Scripture? That's why in Scripture many times you have a near fulfillment and an ultimate fulfillment. And here Matthew makes it very clear that this baby born of Mary was virgin born. I've only had time to address a few of the prophecies that foretold the coming of Christ. But you'll be glad to learn that I've written a creative brochure for you that describes 37 of my favorite prophecies about Christ's coming. In a moment, I'll explain how you can get a copy. All this month on Pathway to Victory, we're giving our complete attention to celebrating our Savior. What could be more appropriate as we approach Christmas Day than focusing on Jesus? Well, as I mentioned earlier, December is special for another reason. A devoted group of families has designated an unprecedented matching challenge right now in the amount of $525,000. Now, here's what that means. Every dollar given to Pathway to Victory on or before December 31st is automatically matched by this group of friends and therefore doubled in size. Today, for example, your generous gift of $100 becomes $200. A $500 gift becomes $1,000. A $5,000 gift to Pathway to Victory would be matched until it became $10,000. Now, when the deadline comes at midnight on December 31st, we're asking God to provide more than a million dollars to pierce the darkness with the light of His Word. And to say thanks for your generous year-end gift, I'll be sending you the new and exclusive 2023 Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional. This is one of the most impressive volumes we've ever produced. It's leather-bound, and I've written a chapter for every weekday in the coming year. Plus, I'll make sure to include the brochure called Jesus, the Fulfillment of God's Prophecies. This brochure explains 37 key prophecies about the coming Messiah that Jesus fulfilled. So, let's make this the best year ever by doubling our impact through the Light in the Darkness Matching Challenge and by walking together each day through the Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional. Here's David with all the details. Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. Today, when you give a generous year-end gift to support this ministry, we'll send you a copy of the all-new leather-bound Pathway to Victory Daily Devotional for 2023. To request your copy, call 866-999-2965, or you could visit us online at ptv.org. And when your gift is $100 or more, we'll also include this month's teaching series, Celebrate the Savior, on CD and DVD. It features the most inspiring messages from Dr. Robert Jeffress on the events surrounding the birth of Christ. Plus, the included music CD features the very best Christmas music performances by the incredible First Baptist Dallas Choir and Orchestra. And because of our Light in the Darkness matching challenge, any gift you give today will be double in impact, meaning there's never been a better time to give to Pathway to Victory. Call us toll-free at 866-999-2965 or go to ptv.org. A lot of our listeners prefer to write. Here's that mailing address, 
P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins, inviting you to join us again next time when we conclude this message called Christmas on the Road. That's Tuesday here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.